Well, you've heard him on radio and you've heard him on television. But how much do you know about the career of Brian Taylor? Well, in this podcast, it's an interview I conducted with him on February the 22nd, 2012. And as you can tell, he has still very strong memories of his playing time and really insightful memories of football at that time. So here's my interview with Brian Taylor. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Pleasure. You're my favourite trivia question, I tell people. Oh yeah, what's that? You were the first Richmond player to kick 10 goals or more in a game at MCG. Really? I never realised so, that. So, um, all the people before us, even Titus, Strang, all those kicked 10 or more, never did it at the MCG, they did it at right. Arden Street or right. Princess okay. Park or Punt Road even. But you did it, and it was in, I think, 1982 yes. against Fitzroy. Yep. Do you remember that day? I remember vaguely that day. I can remember I played on a guy by the name of Chris Hansen, number 16 for Fitzroy. And uh, yes, it was, a, it was a great day because as I was only a, a young guy then and you know, it was the first time I'd kicked a bag of goals and uh, I was pretty happy to do so even though it was against uh, one of the weaker teams. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, at the mm. time, you're right. Mm. Um, how did you get to Richmond? I'm intrigued. Yeah, it is. And you were quite young. Yeah, I was. I was 17 when I came over, so yes. I was really young. I um, I came from Western Australia, a little country town called Mandra. Uh, my wildest dreams, I would have never have imagined that someone was watching me from a VFL point of view all the way over there in Mandra. I, I just couldn't comprehend that they would even know sure. about me. Um, no one knew how to get to Mandra, surely. No. All of a sudden, Ian Wilson oh, and Gareth right. Andrews landed on my doorstep, almost <laughs> unannounced. Octa's there. And Octa was there doing his bit, and we took them marining. I remember we took them marining up uh, up a river, and I think it's uh, the first time either of them have been out of their, uh, their shiny black shoes. But um, So they, they both recall that with some fondness. And I was signed on what was called a Form 4 then. Mm. I think the Form 4s worked in a way that each club was only allowed to sign one interstate young player yep. per year. So they, they spent something very special on me, and that was a Form 4. However, the club I was tied to in the Waffle, East Romanel, who I'd only played one game of under-19s for, um, wouldn't allow me to go. And so it ended up in the Supreme Court. Brian Ward, oh, uh, the then solicitor, um, took it all the way to the Supreme Court on the basis of a restriction of trade, yep. and I was the first player through the Supreme Court to, to win a case for restriction of trade and uh, that then wait, later went on to the Silvio Fascini and many, many others, Morewoods, uh, were involved in that. So uh, that's how I got there. I remember, I remember arriving in Melbourne on a Friday. I had to start where they had a job for me as an apprentice plumber on the Monday. So I arrived on the Friday with my family, had a look at uh, my lodgings, which were uh, I was billeted out to an old lady in, in South Yarra, Mrs Reed. Started work on a Monday morning and started training on the Monday night. And uh, for a guy that hadn't been out of Western Australia before, that was a, a really big deal. And I remember my very first job, 7am on a Monday morning, working for Bob Gillen Paran, was to, uh, as a plumber, I arrived and he sent me in a truck. He said, you're off to the blue moon. And I had no idea what the blue moon was. I was <laughs> 17. And we went to a block of massage parlours in St Kilda Road <laughs> to do a sewerage blockage. And I remember the sewerage blockage, um, we arrived at about 7.30 in the morning and um, the sewer was blocked, obviously with the night's takings from these 50 massage parlours. They sent me down this 12-foot shaft. He said, ram the thing up the pipe and that should get it out. I did and then all of a sudden I heard gurgle, gurgle and I was covered in 
the night's takings from the, from the brothels, um, hosed off and sent back to the workshop in a taxi. <laughs> so that was my introduction to Melbourne. That was my first business day in Melbourne. So it, firstly, I mean, it took you a, a court case to get to Richmond. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when you're there, you've got that occupation. Yeah. yeah. So they found um, employment for you? Yes, they yeah. did. They gave me a choice of what, uh, what it was that I wanted to do. And so why'd you choose that? Well, I chose that because I was a kid coming from the country. I was about to be a mechanical fitter for Old Coa in right. the bauxite mines over there. And, um, and you didn't have great aspirations as a kid. You didn't really, you know, uh, raise the bar as to what you wanted to do as a kid. And so, you know, uh, I thought the plumber was the next best thing to a mechanical fitter. I always wanted to do a trade, but I should have gone electrician or something, uh, engineering route or something like that. They were prepared to send me to university. Whatever it was that I wanted to do, they were going to look after me. Did it ever come in handy at Punt Road? Because the club rooms and everything weren't in the greatest conditions, no, Brian. They were I never just, just thought they'll give you a call and just say, Look, can you help us out here? Uh, no, they were a disgrace. No, we had plenty of plumbers around those days. We had. <laughs> We had Sheedy, of course, and Peter Cameron, who was one of the directors at Richmond, was a plumber, and uh, there were a million plumbers in, in town at that stage. Now, did you barrack for Richmond? No, I didn't. I barracked for St Kilda, mainly because of the um, West Australian connection with Ross Smith and Bruce Duperuzel and George Young and a couple of those guys. So, and, and the jumper, I think, got me as well. So I was a, I was a St Kilda put, su- supporter. So I think they had some success in that, in that 70s, because in West Australia, you've got to understand, all we saw was the winners. That's all we saw. At 6.30 on a Sunday show. night, yep. Right, yep. 6.30 on a Sunday night, we'd get one hour package of edited highlights of the games, and that's how we sort of chose our team. With what was your with the curly hair and all yeah. that? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Did your father have an interest in football? No, he didn't. He was a total non-sports person. He knew nothing about sport. He still knows nothing about sport. He was just not one bit interested. While he came and supported me as a junior, whether it was in football or basketball or motorbike racing, of which I did all of those at that particular time before I come over, he was very supportive, but he was not really interested in those as sports himself. So you're a 17-year-old who only has seen Richmond on the winners, mm-hmm. made it through a court case to get to Richmond. Mm. And you turn up at Punt Road, and who are some of the first people you well, see? Well, it, it was interesting, and I think clubs should do more of this today, and they don't. You were greeted? But I was greeted at the airport by a guy that I'd only ever seen on the TV. Now, it could have well have been Kevin, but it right. wasn't. It was Kevin Sheedy. Right. Um, it, um, you know, to have I Kevin Sheedy arrive in his sort of RM Williams sort of get up with the high, <laughs> the high boots and the whole thing at the airport was... Absolutely amazing, because here I was watching this guy on the winners. He's a 250-game superstar. He's, a, I think, at that stage, a three- or four-time premiership mm-hmm. player. He was at the airport to meet me. It was a pretty big deal. What year were we talking about? That was 1979. Right, which wasn't a great year for Dad. He, he had a bit of uh, issues with Richmond. Yeah, and They wanted to right. move him to the half exactly. forward line, I think. That's right. Were you under the impression of... what? Were you recruited for a position? Were you recruited just because... They saw you play and... No, I think I was recruited as a forward. Um, I kicked a lot of goals in junior football as a, as a key forward, and I think I was recruited as a key forward and someone that could mark the ball. However, because of my lack of size in those early days, I was often played half-forward flank, you know, forward pocket, those sort of positions. Plus we had, you know, you know uh, Michael Roach playing full forward. We had Mark Jackson mm. in the seconds. We right. had Peter Lane in yeah. the thirds well, as Jack well. Well, Jacko never even made a senior game. No, I think he played a night game yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous to think yeah. they didn't even put him in for one game yeah. at some point. Yeah, it is. Just to see. But you know, Peter Lane kicked some extraordinary 120 goals yeah. or something ridiculous. In the under-19s, which, of which I played in that first year in 1979. I played, well, exclusively under-19 games. I may have got one or two reserve games. I can't quite yeah. remember. 
In my first game of under-19s, I hurt my knee, did my cartilage, and I was out for about six or seven weeks. But, that was your uh, first game? That was my first, going for a mark? very first game. I can't remember. It was at Punt Road. I don't remember a lot about it, but, um, yeah. Injury followed you through your career, unfortunately? Or were yeah, you able to sort of... Or was it a recurring injury? No, I think it was more a recurring thing. I, I had knee problems. I never had any other problem. I never had any soft tissue injuries. I never had any... Um, you know, concussion issues. It was just knee injuries on the one particular knee being my right knee from the first day, the first game, uh, right through. So it was, it was awkward trying to find a, a passage of, um, of free games to prove myself. And, you know, being up against the great Michael Roach at the time as well was, was something that wasn't going to be easy to unseat him. What, what does Richmond Football Club do to try and get your knee fixed? Uh, they send you to orthopaedic surgeons, rip your cartilage out, yep. which they'd never do now, um, and get you back as quickly as possible. In those days, it was a full plaster cast for about six weeks and then a couple of weeks of training. So it was about an eight to ten week injury. These days, it's a two week injury. It wasn't Dr. Brian Davey, was it? Uh, well, Brian Davey was the very first guy I went and saw, yeah. and then it was Dr. John Hart. Uh, after that. So still going strong, Brian Davey, in Richmond. Is he really? Yeah, he's still... He's Surely he's not... Uh... No, he's still oh. working, I think, one day a week. Yeah. He was in the first book, and I saw him, and I had to meet him at his work and at his place of work, and he was actually right. working one night. I mean, yeah. he's, he's in his 80s now, Brian Davey. Yeah, well, Brian Davey and John Hart was a, a, another one that did a lot of work for, for the Richmond Footy Club as well. But certainly the thing that stood out to me were the medical staff and the medical people that you had available, the expertise you had available at this level was absolutely fantastic. So you're at Richmond and you're under the tutelage of whom? In the Paddy Ganane. Paddy Ganane. Was my coach. Um, Royce Hart was my coach in the occasional seconds game that I played at the time. Sorry, Ganane was under 19s coach? Yes. Right. Yeah, Paddy was under 19s coach. Spoke to him last week actually. He was a, he's a great, great person. I love Paddy. He has a great recall of history, which yeah. I'm sure you found out. Yeah. Um, and I, he's a guy I'd love to speak to more about the history of the Richmond Footy Club and what particularly happened with me because I, I think he's got the answers. But I really enjoyed his company. I enjoyed his um, soft nature in the way that he handled people. Um, he was he was really good, as distinct from Royce Hart, who was a little bit more gruff and uh, perhaps aggressive and a bit more flamboyant and yeah. flighty. Um, Paddy was a very controlled guy and he was one that I leaned on right through my career when I was at Richmond. He was. A very good man. I saw him as recently as about six months ago. Loves his races, doesn't he? Yeah, he's an yeah. a, a absolutely racing fanatic, uh, uh, Paddy. But he is a great Richmond person, and uh, I love him for that. Can I just ask, why why would he have the missing jigsaw pieces as to your time at Richmond you were saying just before? Oh, I think there were... In 1982, when I missed out on the grand final, um, even though I'd proved my fitness in a, both a fitness test and a practice game, um, I've got a funny feeling he knows what went on behind closed doors. In fact, he's told me that he knows, and I, I really, you know, not that I, I'm not bitter about it at all, but I'd just love to know what, for my own sake, what went on behind closed doors. What was their thinking? Why? And because I never really got told. I just got told that I wasn't up to it. And that year I'd kicked 74 goals, and I think about in the last 17 games of the year straight, mm-hmm. and both. Correct. Steve Peary and myself did our knees in the last game of the year at Arden Street. He was playing full back, I was playing full forward. We both did our knees and uh, that was the end of Steve Peary's career really. Brian Davey operated on him, got it wrong, went back, did a second Rico. So yeah, so I just reckon Paddy would have all the answers as to, to what happened in that period and many others. I love hearing the Graham Richmond stories and Paddy's a great historian of the club as I said. Um, 
do you occasionally do, do you not like talking about 1982? Uh, no, it doesn't worry me at all. No, uh, I, you know, at the particular time, here I was, arrived in 1979 at the back end of that uh, 70s era, which was just absolutely outstanding, mixing with all of those champions that participated in that 70s era. All of a sudden, I arrive in 79, we play in a grand final and win it in 1980. We've got for what many people said was the best team that was going to last a decade. All of a sudden, 82 comes along, we play in yet another grand final. I'm thinking, oh, it doesn't matter if I miss out because this Richmond Football Club has played in six grand finals in the last ten years. So I'm a certainty to get my shot down the track somewhere. I've just got to keep playing good footy. And uh, you should never say that because it doesn't work that way in footy. As as we all know, there hasn't been a grand final since at Richmond. Don't remind me. (laughs) Was was your fitness test the same day as Malthouse's? No, his was on a uh, his was on a Thursday night, I recall, the Thursday night before the grand final. I think the players watched it. Yes, we did. I was there. I can remember standing in the race at Punt Road and, and uh, watching it. And the very last tackle of the night, he went to move away, and um, and Francis grabbed him by the arm and basically pulled it out of the socket again. But I remember watching Mick Malthouse work for that. I think it was a ten day period he had because mm-hmm. I think we won the second semi and went straight through in those days. And I remember watching Mick Mulhouse work in the gym. I, can, I, I, I reckon, look, time may have dented my memory somewhat, but I reckon about three days after the injury, I saw Mick Mulhouse along with Eric Leach in the gym doing bench presses for a guy that had a dislocated shoulder. This was a guy that looked like he was going to play to me because he was just so committed. He did everything heavenly possible in that period of time to give himself a chance of playing. I, was, you know, I think we're all shocked when he actually got out there to train. Mm-hmm. and you know, had got through training officially. But I had some sort of a fitness test that night. In fact, I played, I trained that night. The week between the second semi and the grand final, we played a practice match. Oh, just against yourselves? Yeah, against right. inter-club game against ourselves. I kicked four goals playing on, um, on Martello, who was our fullback, Ellen, yep. Ellen Martello, at that time. And we only played a half, and I thought four was enough to prove yep. that I was okay. I'd come off 74 straight from... 17 consecutive games only two weeks prior so I was in form and uh, and I just don't think they believed I was fit I, I came across recently photographs from Moldhouse's fitness test I've got about 20 of them showing up the series with, with Francis and it it indicates it, it, it sh- to me it shows that he Berg I think was going to go all night until, yeah. until that shoulder was going to go oh, and I think and that's... It, it would have happened for anyone the way that he was ended up wrestling with him and yeah. stuff. And I think that's right, and I think that's what the players were saying, that, you know, I think Francis wants to actually pull it out of the socket. Now, that fitness test, in my mind, went for half an hour, but it probably only went for ten minutes. Um, but it was as rugged a fitness test. In fact, if you put a modern-day player through the fitness test he went through, he would not be available to play on the weekend because he'd be too knackered, yeah. you know. Well, I can tell, like, judging by the photos, it's just horrendous. Yeah, yeah, it was. And it was a uh, deathly silence, of course, when uh, when we all realised that he dislocated it again. So on the Thursday night of the 82 Grand Final, and I have the record here, mm-hmm. you're listed, the teams are selected on Thursday night. Yeah. Full forward. So we've got Roach, Taylor and Waitman across. Jeez, I'd love to get a copy of that. I'll get you a copy of it. Can no, you? Yeah. yeah. How do we get from Thursday night full forward? Yeah, now that, this is a really interesting story. Do you? Or, yeah, so. I had been told, I had not been told in the week leading up to the grand final that I wasn't playing. So my family made the trip over from Perth 
everyone came over expecting that I was playing. You I told ex- me playing. Yeah, yeah, I expected that I was playing. You know, I just gave her the stats on what had happened that year. I was, uh, you know, I, they, had, they had to play me, and um, and so I was told on the Thursday night that I wasn't playing, and it uh, it was it was pretty devastating, and um, and you know, having the whole family there, friends from Perth had all come over expecting that I was playing, blah blah blah. Um, my memories were, were not a very happy time. In fact, I think I even went out on the Friday night to the Richmond Disco um, uh, for a very short while. And I think from memory, my memory is slightly stilted on this, but I'm sure that I ran out onto the ground in 1982. Francis asked me to run out onto the ground with the players in a bit of a sort of a, you know, tactical yeah. sort of thing to confuse them a little bit longer and remove myself from the ground the moment the warm-up was finished. Sort of sneak off the ground. And that's what happened. I'm actually surprised you said yes to that. Sorry? I'm surprised you said yes yeah, to that. Yeah, well, I guess but, you know, when you're young, you go back to that thinking, just come off six premierships in, I think, the last 10 or 12 years, I'll get another opportunity, I've just got to do the team thing here. Did you stay and watch the game? Yes, I did. I remember it was sort of a lightish rain. That's right. Sitting up on top of the, uh, the northern stand, which had no roof on it, and... Uh, and uh, in the in the lightish rain, yeah, I did stay and watch it. Well, it's interesting because this is from Thursday night, so they've, they've had to gone they've had to have gone to print, you know, for the Thursday night in preparation for the for the match. Right. So there's your, they've got you listed at full four. Yeah. So I can only assume after this has gone to print, they told you who, who told you you weren't. I can't I can't remember who who, who delivered the news. I'm sure it would have been the coach. Um, I'm sure it would have been, but I don't actually remember. Can I just ask about Francis as a coach? Dale Waitman said he was a completely different cat altogether. He was just Black and white, and if you weren't the Francis type of player, then you're in trouble in terms of being coached by him. What, what, what's your thoughts yeah. of him as a coach? Look, I was young, so all this was a bit new to me, and perhaps I didn't see it as clearly as the senior players like like are, but I thought he was good. I thought perhaps he overanalyzed the game. There seemed to be a, a lot of meetings and a lot of video going on at the time, which was a little unusual for those times, because yeah. it was a new thing, video. Um, but I, I can't say that I, I noticed what Dale had said, but certainly having listened to people since, I've learnt a lot more. But I, I always felt he was OK, with the exception of I thought that he overanalyzed the game and we had meetings for the sake of meetings. But uh, other than that, you know, I didn't, didn't find him too bad. He'd be perfect for this day and age, would he? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> they completely Absolutely. analyse and overanalyse everything. He was before his time. And then in 83, you only played about six games. Yeah, I... Senior games. I, um, well, in, in the end of 1982, two weeks after the grand final, we went and played a, an exhibition game at the Commonwealth Games up in Brisbane. And, um, I think Jeff Rains' last game before he yeah, went Yeah, it may have been. Yeah. And, I, and I hurt my knee again in that game. And uh, so the start of 1983 was a hangover from the end of 1982 where I had a cyst in the back of my knee... Yeah. It took a bit of a little while to get that under control, so that was that was the reason for a quietish 1983. Although you you played six games, you kicked, you went six, five, one, three, one, three. So you still had yeah. the, the kicking ability in your in your knee, like yeah. you, you could still you still had the accuracy as well, despite yeah. the fact that what this is this was your second. Yeah, it was my third sort of knee issue. In by that stage, Brian, could you feel? A weakness in your knee, or no, 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 no. I always thought it was going to come good. I just, I just, it was a very stiff feeling, 
and I felt the flexibility I had in the knee was really restricted and that was due to the cyst in the back of my knee which was later removed. And then in 84, you played 16 games mm -hmm. for 61 goals. Right. So you're back in four, you're, you're, you're on top. Yeah. But by the end of that year, you're gone. You're in Collingwood by the next year. How, yes. how can, how can a, a forward who kicks 61 goals? Oh, I think i probably come to a point in time there where I said, oh, okay, you know, are they going to, because I, there was this tandem thing going on with Roach and myself, yeah. you know, Roach would play full forward and I'd play in the forward pocket or vice versa. Yeah. And that was going on for over a two or three year sort of period. And successful? And had, it, had its points of success, but I don't think ultimately, mm. um, fundamentally, it was successful for the team. Um, so, and I, uh, and I, I just felt that it got to a point where perhaps they had lost a little bit of confidence in me and I'd lost a little bit of confidence in them because I really didn't know where I stood at the end of 1983-84 mm. because Roach was still playing. Um, he had a really bad back yes. as well. And I just wondered when they were going to make the decision on, on a guy, you know, Michael Roach, and whether it was going to be me or him. And they never did. And I felt that um, an opportunity arose at Collingwood. I didn't seek it out. They approached me. They didn't have a full forward. They were a great club. Right. And um, so that's what happened. You, just, you seem to have so many hurdles in your time mm. at Richmond, didn't yeah. you? Coming to Richmond, the 82 grand final, yeah. you know, make a decision, broach myself or how's it all going to work. But you, you kept overcoming all these hurdles. I mean, were you mentally a very tough person? Or yeah, I think I, I think I am mentally tough. It was a rough ride, but you know what? I enjoyed Richmond. It was my family because I'd left my family behind. So yep. other people would go to friends' places for social activity. I'd go to the Richmond Football Club to to talk to people yep. and be with people. Under-19s would be training. I'd go to watch the seniors and the reserves train or train with them because that's all I had. And so it, it, I never saw it as a a negative period at all. I saw it as a very positive period in my career in which I had a few hurdles and obstacles medically to overcome. But other than that, I enjoyed my time immensely. And I always felt that, perhaps in terms of togetherness, that Richmond was a lot more together than Collingwood ever was, you know, in terms of closeness and camaraderie and the necessities of that to win a premiership were much more evident at Richmond than they ever were at Collingwood. Well, when you played at Collingwood, did you... When you played against Richmond, yep. was that extra impetus for you to prove a point? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt that there was there was something from within when you played your old side that you wanted to prove to them that they'd made you know the wrong decision and I'd made the right decision. There was no question about that. And from memory, I, I think I had more success than non-success against Richmond from that point in time. Well, your first, your first game against them, I think you kicked three goals three. Right. Um, but you're right, you were, you were more successful than, yep. than not successful as an example. Did, what, what was the feeling like? Did your teammates, because you still had teammates who were playing at Richmond yeah. at that stage, were yeah. they still friendly to you? Were the supporters for you, against you? Were they as confused as you were, bro? I think the supporters were, were, were perhaps a little bit confused. I think um, they still are. <laughs> I think <laughs> the senior players, um, a couple of them had received some wrong information. A couple of the very senior yep. players had received some wrong information about what had transpired, um, about money, 
etc. I went to play for Collingwood, and I'm happy to state this on the record, for significantly less than I was ever playing at Richmond for. And I think that... Um, it wasn't about money, it was about opportunity. It was about opportunity for me. Yeah. But I think some of the senior players at Richmond painted it as a money opportunity, and that couldn't have been further from the truth. But that, that could be because at the time there were other people who went to Collingwood. Oh, people coming and going everywhere. I mean, it was ridiculous. It yeah. was, a, yeah. was a turnstile. It was. And it Reigns was. was going off and he was yeah. gone and I think I always, went. Yeah, I always felt that one thing that Richmond did wrong coming out of that really successful period after 1982 is they were too hasty to get rid of their premiership players and the guys that had played yeah. in that grand final and move on. I just thought they got rid of too much of the heart and soul of the club too quickly. Mm natural attrition will get those guys anyway but I just thought they were wanting to move players on too quickly and and I reckon that tore a lot of the guts out of the Richmond Football Club in 1983 and 1984 when Premiership players from 1980 Grand Final players from 82 were moved on and that's probably the fault of the coach but also the administrators Yeah, I think think it was a really delicate period because the Graham Richmond period was going from one that I rule with an iron fist Mm. and I will rule rule with aggression and scare people Mm. into success Mm -hmm. and I think that had worked in the 70s and possibly even the early 80s but I think there was a transformation period where the modern footballer was coming along and no longer reacted to that sort of um, that sort of tactic yeah. and I think that sort of tactic was coming to an end at that particular period and uh, you know obviously it's completely over now you couldn't treat people like mm. they used to treat them then um, yeah but he was, a, he was a power broker yep Graham Richmond with yeah, he was. P. What, um... yeah, it was always a strange feeling with Graham Richmond <laughs> because as a young player early, hearing this name Graham Richmond I'm thinking what was he, a great player of the club? What was he? And I never quite... And you never saw him because he was one of these unassuming, modest guys that sort of occasionally would turn up to training. But I've got the feeling most of his work was done over the phone or down at Ron Carson's um, garage. automotive garage. Um, and the, you'd never see him. Yet, you sort of had this really strong sense that he was actually picking the team. Yeah. I was always amazed to find that when a young player was first was about to play his first game even before Thursday night training that the photographers would be down there taking a picture of this young player when not even he knew he was playing so someone was telling them and I'm sure that Graham Richmond was doing a lot of work both with the media in terms of motivating players in other words um, hey listen Mike Sheen can you write an article on Brian Taylor this week and kick his ass because he's going terrible and I'm sure a lot of that happened in those days let's go back to the start for a sec Richmond versus Carlton, your first game, yep. I believe. Yep. I have with me the record. Round 18, yep. Uh, we're in number 21. No goals, sadly, but that's OK. Someone's filled in the goals there. Yep. Who'd you play on? I played on um, Bruce Duell, and I played half-forward flank at Princess Park. Right. Um, and I think from memory... Uh, I think I started on the ground. I'm pretty sure I started on the ground. Half-forward flank, Bruce Dool was the best half-back flanker in the competition at that particular stage. And I think I got one handball and one kick for the day. That might be that might be exaggerating, but I think I got two touches. You actually got three. I got three, One handball and two kicks. Ah, uh, okay. So you're underplaying your effort there. And I think I got taken off towards the uh, maybe the third quarter, last quarter, somewhere about there. But... I had a shocking day. But you're only, you're only star young. Star player, too. yeah. But it was round, it was round 18. Yeah, that's right. 
and no, 19, actually, yeah. Yeah, round, round 19, 19. Yeah, yeah. so I think we only played 20 rounds in those days, and so I was given the opportunity to be part of some 1980 success. I mean, mm-hmm. if I'd played well in that game, it would have been hard for them to drop me. From memory, I think it was uh, David Cloak that might have been, uh, although, no, he's kicked two goals in that game. Might have been Rochi. Where's Rochi? No, Rochi kicked one. Someone didn't play... To let you into the To let match. me in. Oh, that, was, that was injured. Right. Um, someone, and I can't remember who that was. Um, has it got ins and outs here? No, it hasn't. Emergencies in it done, Colin Waterson, Scrimshaw. Someone didn't play that week that I got a game. And so one of my great disappointments is that I didn't, even as a young guy, realise that in 1980, in round 19, that I had a very special opportunity that I could have turned into gold. And I didn't, didn't even didn't even occur to me yeah. that I could play in a grand final if I played well. did not even occur to me. Were you, were you playing well in the reserves that year? Yes, yes I was. I'd, um, I'd done reasonably okay playing on... I remember I had a string of games on, on senior players in the reserves. Right. I remember Gary Hardiman was one at Melbourne yep. Footy Club and a couple of other really good players that were playing in reserves at the time. So, um, yeah. I always found you to be quite an accurate kick. What's the secret to that? For you? Um, getting close to goal. <laughs> how and, close? How, how, not, how long could you, how not, far could you kick? I wasn't a long kick. I was a, a 45 metre kick. Drop punt? Uh, 50, if I absolute everything worked perfectly. Right. Uh, 40 was comfortable. Mm-hmm. 45 was starting to stretch my ability. Um, so I always felt there were two important things for me. One, um, uh, mark, mark it in a radius that gave you an opportunity and not too far out. So did you lead? Were you a leading? I was a leading player, okay. yes. You described me as a leading forward, yeah. Right so um, always, always had that in mind. And, uh, and yeah. But did you, did you have a set routine once you got the ball? Not particularly. Um, I just had a, a comfortable feel. So um, I felt, I knew when I was running in whether I was in that comfort zone and whether everything felt like it should. Yep. That is, I did everything the same every time. I think it wasn't until perhaps I moved to Collingwood that I started to really hone my kicking and understand the technical um, aspects of it a lot more than I did as a kid at Richmond. And it took you, you may not have realised at the time and you may not realise, it took you a long time to play a finals game. You you didn't play in a finals match with Richmond. No, I didn't. And you didn't play one until, I think, 88 or 89 with Collingwood maybe? Gee, I can't remember, but it was about then. But, yeah. And it's interesting because you talked earlier about not being yeah. aware of the or missing the, yeah. the signals the to say, hey, yeah. here it was sort of thing. Is that one of your biggest regrets? Which? Uh, m- m- missing these signals to say, hey, oh, you, might, yeah. you might... I know. mean, I look back now and I go, how raw was I? How stupid, how dumb was I? Whatever. But to miss the signal in 1980 and go, hey, this opportunity is available was, was pretty amazing. In 1982, to not force the issue more with the club, not be mm. more aggressive with the club in that week of the grand final, and say, OK, well, what, what more do you want me to do? On, I should have grabbed someone aside on Monday or Tuesday and said, right, come and do... Give me a test now. Get me to do something. I should have sold myself more yeah. rather than just sit back and let people decide my future for me on that particular game. And so, and, and so that, was, that was a great regret. Um, and then at Collingwood, so... In 1990, um, I, uh, I wrote a book, um, a diary about Collingwood, which wasn't released until after the grand final was run and won, but that cost me an opportunity to play in a premiership at, uh, at uh, Collingwood as well. The book did? 
Oh, absolutely, no doubt about that. The club, uh, the club got wind of the fact yeah, I was writing this diary, and we're, we're very much against it. And uh, politics of the club again. Against the politics you. of the club again. But I have realised that that was the wrong thing to be doing as a player, and so I don't blame anyone except for myself for that. I only have a handful of questions left. Yep. When I look at some footage of you, because I never saw you play, I was too young. Yep. I was still in a crash at Berry Street. In fact, there's a stat with your dad. I played my first... No, I think Kevin played his first senior game at Richmond when I was five years old. I think that's right. So Kevin, I think... 65, he played his first game. Is that what you mean? 65 he played, well I was born in 62, so he's, I was three years old yeah. when Kevin Bartlett played his first game and I later went on to play with him. That's right. How unbelievable yeah. is that? Because you were still playing in 83 at the end, say round 20 or 21. Yep. And he was 30, 36. Yeah. I missed his 400th, but um, I, play, I remember having some, some really good time with him, yeah. Yeah, yeah so it was about 33, yeah he was, yeah, yeah it was about 33 years. Absolutely <laughs> staggering. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. It makes me feel old somehow, <laughs> I'm not too sure. Um, I, I never saw you play. So when I type in Brian Taylor into YouTube, right? Because everyone does YouTube these days. Yeah. There's footage of you fist pumping the umpire. Yep. You're, you're throwing a ball back at a player. You're such a passionate player. Yep. Is that correct? Yep, absolutely. Were you always a passionate player? Um, or did that grow? No, no. I, I was confident. always aggressive. And um, I always had this thing in the back of my mind that I'd watched many great full forwards um, be great at their craft, and they did extremely well, but it always annoyed me that they got knocked around like teddy bears and <laughs> treated like um, um, treated unfairly aggressively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, belted behind the ear and uh, punched. And, and I always, I can, right from the start, I always said to them, I am going to be, I'm going to be different. I'm going to set the mould for aggressive full forwards and I'm going to, I'm going to be the one punching the full back. Yep. I'm not going to let him punch right. me. Yep. And, and that was an attitude that I deliberately took through and I always felt that I needed to be in that heightened sense of um, aggression to play well. I never played well as a placid um, yeah. a player. Yeah. So I always felt that that was something that got me motivated. Did you get reported based on that? Um, I was reported for abuse of language um, uh, on one particular occasion, but uh, that's all I can remember. You didn't throw a boot or anything, did you? At one yes, I did. I threw a boot at the MCG. Was it your own boot? No, no, it was the opposition <laughs> players, and I threw it over the fence, and I think I got one or two weeks for it. I think it. you might have, actually. I think that, I did, yeah. That changed my mind, yeah. And, I, and it, was, it, was a, it was a big name player, and I can't think who it was. I can remember where it was. It was Hartford, Frank, MCG, Northern Side, Punt Road End. Um, but I just can't remember whose boot it was. Well, I love the fact that you're passionate. Because I think yeah. you're right. Fullbacks always got the upper hand on full yeah. forwards by hitting them behind it. It goes all the way back to Murdoch and Coventry when yeah. they had their tussle back in the yeah. 30s. You look at, you know, Peter McKenna and Doug Wade yep. and, and, um, and Peter Hudson. All these guys were, I'm hesitant to use the word soft, but soft in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, great players yep. to get the ball and keep the goals. And it just really annoyed me how they got treated. Did you, uh, when did you have the moustache? I think from, I think, I've seen some old photos of Richmond, I reckon in 1980. So as you, about your second year at yeah. the club or so? Yeah, I reckon 1980, I can, 
I remember a Scanlon's card or, <laughs> or it might have been a footy record photo yes. or something of a, 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 a sort of Was there many other moustached? They were all moustached. Uh, yeah. Ian Scrimshaw was moustached. Emmett Dunn was moustached. I think Robert Wiley. Was Mick? He, uh, Mick Malthouse was definitely moustached. In fact, it was, it was the trend. I just didn't realise it ended. <laughs> have you ever shaved off since? Oh, I have a couple of times okay. momentarily. Yeah. Like yeah. Just finally, ha- how do you hope that Richmond supporters in particular remember you as a player? Um, look, I'm not even sure the Richmond supporters will remember me. Um, I certainly remember my time at Richmond. I describe it as a very, very fond, I have very fond memories of Richmond. They are a family to me. Um, how do I think they'll remember me as a as a young kid that had some potential, but never quite reached where he should have gone? Whether that be through my own talent or whether that was through the club not giving me an opportunity. Yeah. And I think people are probably halfway between the two. And just finally, do you do you find that because you're a very well respected commentator now, do you find that? you feel the need to say that as well when you look out on the field and you see maybe young kids coming up who are playing in the game and maybe have an injury and you think to yourself, you know, well, hang in there, keep going, you know, be persistent. Do you understand? Can you sort of make that connection to, yeah, to yeah. those that you commentate today yeah. and you think to yourself, I know right about now he's feeling like shit? Yes, I think there are some parallels there, but you've got to be very careful as a modern-day commentator not to harp back on yesteryear. Um, you've got to go with the game and you've got to be in the moment. And I, and I can honestly say that I adopt an attitude in my commentary now almost as if I never played the game. Um, that is, I try not to mention that I played the game. However, I call with the same passion and aggression that I played the game. But um, I, I, I really do... Um, I want to be known as a commentator now, mm-hmm. not as a, as a past player. Not as former Yeah. Because I think past players, there's there's a bit of bitterness associated with most of them. Um, uh, I don't have any bitterness towards anyone. Um, I just want to encapsulate and enjoy the game as it is now. And I I love the modern game. I I think back to my day and it was great, but today's better. Right now is better than it ever was. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. No worries. Thanks. Um, Very good. And uh, you may have this. Oh, can I? Yeah, that's You've got a couple of those, have you? Yeah, would you like your first game record as well? Yeah, I would. That would be absolutely fascinating.